1: The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. everyone. Quick note before we begin today, there will be some talks in this episode of the matters of suicide and abuse. Um, We do not linger on it too, too long, but it is some of the central themes of our subject today. So please just be aware when listening that that may come up. If that's not right for you, we understand and we'll see you back next time.
0: All right. Well, so Amy, I know that you love Christmas films, um, check, and we're deep into the Christmas season at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I assume you've watched a fair few Christmas movies. Um, Obviously, is there such a thing as a Christmas movie that is too schmaltzy? Um. Yeah, but I'll still watch it. (laughs) Well, yes, I know you have no shame in that regard. No,
1: not Uh, at all. I mean, I've watched, I'm trying to think of the, like, holiday engagement. Um, I am going to watch that Hitched for the Holidays one that you mentioned. I haven't watched that yet. Yeah, no, there's really no limit to the schmaltz that I will watch, I will be honest.
0: And so when you watch these films, and then when you think about the movie that we watched for this week, do you feel like that the movie we watched this week is like the blueprint or does it provide some of the tropes that now we see in holiday movies time and time again?
1: Um, I mean, I don't really see it. I thought, I think this movie is relatively, you know, it has a quick turnaround at the end, but it's relatively depressing. Sure. Like overall. Sure. <laughs> um I guess maybe I didn't really think about it, but um I ha- I guess it has some of the stuff like the like super small town, lots of fake snow. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs>
1: yep. Like a couple of things like that um you know, forcing a love story when there might be not maybe there isn't one. Right. <laughs> um but 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 beyond Grumpy that, like I don't business
0: know. person who makes yeah, everything I, and everyone. Yeah,
1: I guess that's true. I guess it does. I guess the more you like dig into it, but I don't think it's quite as. Um, it's not quite as obvious, or it's not quite as like it's. I because I wouldn't call this movie schmaltzy. I would just call it.
0: No, it's not quite. Uh, I'm not sure what uh, as, I would call it. It's maybe not. It's not as um like cutesy as holiday movies and christmas movies have become of late um but i do think it does incorporate quite a lot of what we expect out of a holiday movie Um, yeah
1: i guess that's true you
0: know or like it sets the tone maybe for some of the things that then we'll see more as time goes Mm -hmm. on and probably most of all is the main protagonist like in this one it's not that he hates Christmas.
1: But... No, he's not like a full Scrooge. No, but, but it's more
0: like he we... is very
1: business yes uh, centered
0: and not family oriented no. and wanting this big life and yeah. co- and then having kind of a revelation that um small town life or whatever is like as good, or, like, the life they had always was good. I mean, these kinds of things are also, like, that revelation, that turn of, like, oh, the thing I've been pursuing is born of my own ego rather than, you know, and Christmas has helped me find that. (laughs) Yeah. um, Christmas
1: does generally help people find that, oh, I don't need to make money. I just need (laughs) to live in a small town called, like, Snowland, and I'll be okay. (laughs) Right. It's
0: always a town that has, like, as we'll talk about now, this is like a two-name town. You've yep. got to be called like Elk Something River. Something Falls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or like uh, Snow Haven. Yeah. Um, these kinds of things. Stars Hollow. Yeah. Shout out to yeah. Gilmore Girls. Um, oh. <laughs> you know, like it's always got to be like these kind of... Well, m-
1: actually, there's, there's a movie that I watched that I think now I'm realizing is maybe from like taken from this movie called pottersville i just was
0: considering watching that this morning but instead i went for operation christmas drop
1: (laughs) how was that oh god we'll talk about that later but um i watched Uh, i watched love hard which is another christmas movie
0: the reason i chose operation christmas drop this morning is because i have already seen it last christmas and thought it was fine so that's why i put it on this morning all right fair
1: enough um that's really funny. Um, yeah, so Pottersville is actually not bad, but um, I realized watching this movie, that is taken from this movie, I think.
0: Well, right, because the alternative world is where Bedford It's called Pottersville, Falls, right? It's Pottersville. And so this yeah. is a good opportunity then now to officially say, hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to See You Next Week in Space, Christmas edition, part three. We're talking about <laughs> a real classic this week. I am Sarah Walsh. I'm here with my co-host and sister, Amy Walsh. And Amy... Tell us what we're talking about today.
1: We are talking about a very classic Christmas movie that I actually had never seen before, and only the only pieces I knew about it were all through, like, pop culture references sure. and various things like that. It is It's a Wonderful Life from 1946, starring Jimmy Stewart.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's all I pretty much knew about it, yeah. other than, and like, some little things.
0: And in fact... That's the main reason I chose this movie, um, is because we discovered, or I discovered, that you had never watched this whole movie when we were talking about the Alf version of this story.
1: Um, <laughs> some, months oh, yeah, ago. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, so yeah. That, and that you was know what? There's a reason why I never,
1: hmm. I think my reason for never watching it because I love a Christmas movie and I also. Like love Jimmy Stewart, and I yes. love a black and white movie. Like I like all the things. I think I knew that there, like there was part of it that was dark. I didn't know the length, but it's. Let me tell you a quick story. This okay. movie is too long.
0: <laughs> That's the quick story. That's the
1: story. <laughs> okay. That's the story. This movie's too long because I'm also gonna read the IMDb description that you have in your notes here, and it sure. is.
0: And now An just angel- to be, hold on a second. Let's just okay. check in. The running time of this movie, two yeah. hours and ten minutes. Go ahead.
1: Too long. Yes. Keep that in mind when I read this. Uh, An angel is sent from heaven to help a desperately frustrated businessman by showing him what life would be would have been like if he never had existed. Now, that plot point comes in at about... Uh, hour, one hour, 30, hour fifty. I
0: I think it's hour thirty-five-ish, like or or maybe well, forty-five. It might be forty-five. Okay,
1: maybe it like starts to build, but it's literally the last. Uh, 5 yes. I'll give it. I'll say thirty minutes, but like, it takes a long time to it get is there.
0: Very much the last act. Of I was the movie.
1: I was a little confused, almost like to the point where I was like, "Is this?" how are we going to get to the, like, what is, I I was, I was definitely like not sure how we were going to get where I knew it needed to get.
0: Right. Yeah. I wonder, I found myself wondering too, because I, I had seen this before. It's been a while. I think part of the reason why I was maybe more familiar with the actual movie in comparison to you is because, um, when I was small, that, that was like prime time when it was the joke was, it was on like every channel at some point, oh. like, oh. um, because that was a whole thing, uh, and I'll, and this is maybe a good time to say this, so, uh, this movie, uh, was directed by Frank Capra, um, who was an extremely, uh, well-regarded and beloved American, Italian-American director, um, in the 1930s and early 1940s, um, part of the reason why he, he himself is an interesting figure, uh, in American cinema is that, like I said, he's an Italian migrant and he finds his way into Hollywood and then he becomes one of the kind of biggest, um, direct, like auteur directors and Mm. quite often people talked about how his life was emblematic of the American dream. Uh, um. That you could access as a migrant in that time, um,
1: and his movies—not anymore,
0: but just no, PS. definitely not. Uh, <laughs> now, even as a citizen, you're fucked. So yeah, yeah, really, like, um mm. But you know, so he chose films, and like his films were known for having this kind of very, um, let's say, glossy uh, understanding of American culture. Um, hmm. that he wanted to portray, and uh, this movie is an example of that. But hmm. this, nonetheless, this movie was actually kind of the last high-profile thing he ever did because in its time, 1946, uh, the movie got pretty mixed reviews. People weren't super excited about it. It it became it was effectively a financial flop, and... Hmm.
1: Um, I could see it not necessarily playing well back then. So I mean, not that I know what they like. I think,
0: though, and this, so all of this is going to link back together in a second. But, um, so the reason this movie has become such a Christmas-associated movie now was that when it moved into the public domain, which means that you can play it for free without paying any sort of copyright fees, all of these different you know, channels started playing it as their Christmas movie. And so there was mm. a period in, like, I want to say probably from the mid-70s to about the mid-80s where it was, like, as soon as Thanksgiving hit, you could find oh, this, this on TV yeah. somewhere. So it got, like, to be a punchline because everyone was like, Jesus Christ, it's on again. Um Yeah. And, and, and I was like, oh, my God, I don't have time for this movie again. It's so long. Um, <laughs> and and it became like a set point because then everybody knew it, um, yeah. but it also meant that people finally kind of appreciated it for what it was. So I want to say sometime in the late '80s, the I think it was Frank Capra's estate. They made they were like, "This is taking away from our father's legacy by virtue of showing this all the time, um, and it's becoming a punchline. It's becoming stupid." So now on, like, there's some rule, and I don't totally know how you monitor this, but, like, on network television, it can only be shown once a year. Um, What? Yeah. And then it made it even more special to be, like, this is the only time you're going to watch it. Um, Interesting. But, I like, so then to round this all out, uh, I found myself thinking, I wonder how they would have told this story if this had been done more recently, because part of why I think this is long and a bit weird um, is because this is a story about alternative alternate, alternate reality. Mm. And.
1: And we're living in one, so it's hard to do that now. No, <laughs> I mean,
0: I, I just mean that, like, we've seen so many more efforts oh. at storytelling with that as a premise than would have yeah. been available in 1946. Um, like, and specifically in the realm of film. Like a film, because this is, and that's the other thing. When I, when you Google Christmas sci-fi movies, this is one of the top things that is listed.
1: <laughs> and sci-fi, I mean, I would, I, like, uh, I feel like it. that's light. I mean, I get yeah. why, but, like, it doesn't. It doesn't hit all like my marks as like a sci-fi. I mean, I get it, but um, Um, it's the type of sci-fi I can get into because I like an alternate reality. Don't get me wrong; like, I like the idea of, I like that. Um, It's fun, and a lot of Christmas. I do actually feel maybe not a lot, but I do feel like Christmas movies have used parts of that. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's loosely. so, according to Wikipedia, this is also loosely based on this short story called The Greatest Gift, which was written by Philip Van Doren Stern in 1943, mm-hmm. and that story was, like, loosely inspired by A Christmas Carol, you know, because that, too, is about, uh, you know... Yeah, exactly. What if, how might my life be different? Sure. Um, and I so... I mean, he
1: sees, like, real reality, but it's, like, reminding him, oh, hey, guess what, you're an ass, but, like... Right. Um... Yeah, but it's the same premise. I mean, I guess people are super, like, introspective at Christmas.
0: (laughs) Well, sure. I mean, I think, well, it's, like, it's not just Christmas itself, but, like, also, like, the year is ending. We've made another cycle through. Yeah. What, where's my life going? You know, am I doing what (laughs) I'm supposed to do? Um, All of those things seem like a very reasonable set of. Well, yes, but, like. You know, these are the things that's heavy for Christmas. But yeah, Uh, so yeah, so I just I do wonder if like part of why this is long and sometimes feels strange is just by virtue of the fact that it's a product of its time, and people could only think about telling this story in a pretty linear way. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, whereas now, I'm not sure we would get quite so much upfront exposition
1: yeah yeah um and i didn't need it i'll be honest and maybe that's because i'm coming from now and like i was like oh my god this is quite the setup like i don't need to know about every goddamn thing in his life um (laughs) but you know i get like i did also see where all of it took us to you know eventually but my god it took forever to get there
0: right um, so final little bit before we talk about the cast. Um, both Frank Capra and Jimmy Stewart said that this was the favorite movie they made in their career, really. Um,
1: really, yeah, I'm surprised by Jimmy Stewart on that, to be honest. I mean, but he's okay. in many
0: other great things, but yeah, that seems to like him. it would be
1: like more fun, to be honest. <laughs> but okay,
0: um, so then let's. Open things up to talk about the cast. Um, mm-hmm. And they're actually, for all the length and the impact that George Bailey has on the town, there's only a few characters we really super need to pay attention to. Um, yeah, there's
1: one I have to mention that mom told me I had to mention. <laughs> okay.
0: Um, so we'll begin with George Bailey, who is played mm-hmm. by Jimmy Stewart, who I discovered in this time, he was always billed as James Stewart. Really? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. That's weird. Um, I saw that you wrote that, and I was like, why did she write that? I know. I mean, obviously, everyone calls him Jimmy Stewart. I think that, you know, like when he would make his appearances on uh, variety shows and things, I'm sure people were like, Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. But professionally, that's what he was. Gotcha. Um, He was 38 when this movie came out. Um, Mm. And what I thought was interesting, especially in the context of playing George Bailey... Uh, he went to Princeton and studied architecture, which is clearly this architecture thing is what George Bailey is all about. Uh-huh. Um, and he was, his career was really launched by appearing in a number of different Capra movies that were really popular throughout the thirties hmm. and forties. Specifically, I Mr. Thought he Smith was like- goes to Washington.
1: Oh, I always thought that it was Hitchcock stuff that was like his claim to fame overall but i mean interesting
0: certainly that's where probably a lot of people like especially a lot of us more modern folk um know him (laughs) from but in terms of his like early career the thing Mm. that really put him on the map were multiple appearances in different frank capra movies um he also served as um in the air force during world war ii and through that service, I think uh, I remember reading that he's like a colonel or like something. Um, and so, wow. Up, so he is like the highest ranking actor in the military <laughs> that there has been so far. That's funny. Um, Interesting. And as you'll see here, i have like, he's in all the good things. <laughs> he is. I mean, it's like
1: too many. T- My favorite Hitchcock, uh, The Man Who Knew Too Much. Right. Rear um, Window.
0: Yep. Uh, but yes, and I will say it certainly looked like, like I said before, he got his start in these Capra movies in the '30s and '40s. But when he really hits his stride, and when you see like him appearing in movie after movie, that's the '50s and early '60s. Yeah. Um, and quite a lot of that is Hitchcock films, but not exclusively that. Okay. Um, next, we have the character named Mary Hatch, played by a 25-year-old Donna Reed. Um, oh she was twenty five. Mm-hmm. Are you about That's to say wild. she looked older <laughs> again? Like I mean, we we I knew it was know? gonna. I mean,
1: I knew it was gonna be something like that because at one point in the, I mean, in the movie, she says she's eighteen at one point, and I well, was like, yes. "That's cute." Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, she yeah, the way she dressed, the way they make her look, she looked, she looked older. Than me, she looked great, but she looked yeah. very mature.
0: Yes, um, so. I will just read a direct quote from her IMDB bio because I found it very funny. Um, okay. Donna grew up as a farm girl, much like many young girls in western Iowa, I- Iowa, excuse me, um, except for one thing. Donna was very beautiful. That was oh, burn. <laughs> uh, it goes on to say that wasn't to say that others weren't as pretty. It's just that Donna's beauty stood out from all the other local girls so much so that she won a beauty contest in Denison. So that's when, you know, (laughs) that's like cemented some things for her, I guess. Mm, Um, Interesting. So she moves from Iowa to Los Angeles to go to college and she kind of wanted to go to college there because she assumed that like by proximity, she might like get into movies and acting that way. And Mm, she was mm -hmm. correct. Um, Now, here's a thing that I found strikingly bizarre. Um, So... Not this first part. So she starts appearing in quite a lot of movies. And so by this... So when she appears in this, she would have probably been as famous-seeming as Jimmy Stewart was at the time. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. But one of her roles that she played was Sacagawea.
1: That's a problem. I know. <laughs> I know. That is a real conundrum. Like, that is... She is quite... <laughs>
0: I know she's white. Well, that this just again shows like where we are in time then versus where we are in time now because, yeah. like, um, I guarantee you part of the reason she was selected for that was not simply her wonderful beauty, um, but also that she does have dark hair and dark eyes just like,
1: because she's not blonde, yeah, <laughs> basically. Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And, and like, even in this, like, because I think by the time she does the Donna Reed show, not very much. After well no I guess this is Donna Reed show, I think is about ten years after uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, okay. But she by then she does have slightly lighter hair and like, uh. reads a bit differently. Um, but even in this movie, I was like, well, she does have like a darker. But she was still but, very clearly oh, she's white. white. Yes, she's just like dark hair, dark eyes, and yeah. that. But yes, at that time, that was like enough to Yikes. convince people. And I and I also fear deeply. Fear I fear. Yeah, that I she think was there's some more, makeup.
1: I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Yikes. Yep. In what movie was it? A was it like it was a, a, movie, a Sacagawea movie, or she no. was just like like they're gonna feature Sacagawea in any? I don't know. I feel like they is there not a Sacagawea movie? I always I don't that think she there was is. one of my favorite like. Um, characters when we would learn about I don't know, if she wasn't a character, I guess that's not the right thing to call her, but like... Historical
0: she, figures.
1: Historical figure, like when we would learn about um, that time period and we, there was the Sacagawea dollar at one point. Yep.
0: <laughs> I was just I, talking I, about that last night because my friend's son just lost a tooth and I was like oh, and what did you get for that? And he was like, Fairy, Tooth Fairy brings you dollar coins. And I was like, oh, a bunch of Sacagaweas? And he looked like I was nuts. And I was nuts because now dollar coins don't have Sacagawea on them. They've put well, a bunch of me. They've put a bunch of shitty old like 19th century presidents on there instead. Lame.
1: I know. I used to love. I, yeah, I don't know why there was always something about learning about Sacagawea. I thought she was really cool. Well, also um, her
0: name is cool.
1: I know her name is and it's a little bit fun to say. Like yeah. um so I think that probably when I was younger was part of
0: that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I fully support that I that's why I even <laughs> know about her to the degree I do is because her name <laughs> sounds cool um name but cool. I think she was in some movie that was about Lewis and Clark
1: yeah that's right because I think because Sacagawea was very their guide or whatever yeah 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 so don't ask me the actual history because now I don't I, remember but I know she was like in their sphere
0: <laughs> yes um so she does all of these various movies and then Donna Reed show, I'm fairly sure, begins in like the mid 50s and then lasts until the early 60s. It's an eight year long run, um, which is what if you if you've heard of Donna Reed, that's how you know who she is, is from this show um, mm. or maybe this movie. Those are kind of your two options. Um, and once she completed- I know her from
1: a lyric in a song from Little Shop of Horrors, but yes, go on
0: cool um (laughs) but I mean like if you can actually picture what she looks like and think of this actor that's how you know her um and then once she completed the Donna Reed show in the early 60s basically she was done um she did like a few handful of things afterwards but um you know I think by then she probably would have been in her early 40s and probably was like I'm I just want to do my life and she certainly probably made (laughs) enough money so yeah yeah Off she went. Um, Next we have the evil Mr. Potter, played by Lionel Barrymore, who was 68 when this movie was released. Um, Is that Drew Barrymore's grandfather? uh, I know he's related to her. I don't know exactly, like whether he's her great uncle or her grandfather, Uh, but it is mm. that family. Okay. Um, And so that's the main thing to say about um, this guy that. Lionel Barrymore was part of a major acting dynasty of the, mm-hmm. Bar- the Barrymore family. Um, and that the acting dynasty actually predated the film industry. Um, so they were... The- really? Yes. They were theater actors. Like his parents mm. um, were theater actors. And then he and his sister and brother. So he has um, Ethel and John Barrymore are his sister mm. and brother. And all three of them... Uh, were famous simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, John Barrymore uh, was mostly known for being, kind of, he was often referred to as kind of the greatest actor of his generation. Um, oh. And he was uniquely famous for playing Macbeth. Um, ah. And hmm. so John, it, it, the impression I got was that John was maybe slightly more of a stage actor, and Lionel mm-hmm. and Ethel were a bit more film uh, got it. People, but either way, all three famous in their own right. Um, and that's why I'm not sure it will be it would be either Lionel or John, who is Drew Barrymore's grandfather, but I don't know which yeah, her, one for sure. It says her dad is um
1: John Drew Barrymore, so maybe that must be John's son, probably.
0: Yeah, I guess. Um so the main thing that I thought we could discuss about Lionel Barrymore that we both have in common is... The little colonel? Correct. Uh, He was the mean guy? He's the colonel in the little colonel. He's the mean colonel. Yeah. Uh, Turned nice. Yeah, eventually won over by Shirley Temple and her cute-ass dimples and her great springy hair. Yeah. That's Um, a good one. It is a good one, but it's, like, also really concerning... How much we watched that <laughs> and how much really it, well because it like completely turns the old south into something that's like lovely and fine and nothing to worry well, about
1: like well there was that one and then there was also that I don't even know if that was the worst one to be honest because another one that I'm thinking of that I think there were like um uh what's what you call it soldiers was the littlest rebel
0: that one might be even oh, yeah. worse. Yeah, I forgot about that one. But yes, in, I'm having a recollection now that the the one of the vague implications uh, in The Little Colonel is that this is after the war is over, and that's partially mm. why the colonel is so angry all the time. So that yeah, means that's dark. that means <laughs> that movie that the black people that we're seeing are not enslaved anymore, but sure as hell have been cow towed to such a degree that they are not not truly permitted to leave. Um,
1: right, and also it's like once once it, it's I don't okay, gosh, this is not where we need to go right now. But like once you've this been, this is such
0: a Christmassy theme. <laughs>
1: Once you've been enslaved, like, one day someone says, okay, you're free. Go figure out how to, like, make money, make your life right alone with no support. Like, that's not super easy to just be like, <laughs>
0: it, bye. It is not.
1: <laughs> it is so, not at all. So uh, I'm sure, th- not, like, this is not what we're talking about today, but, like, I'm sure there was a period there where some people who were enslaved did kind of, day for a period or like but i maybe i maybe i'm wrong i don't know
0: now there's a whole there's lots that could be said here but the general especially <laughs> especially immediately afterward yeah. most um black people in the south who were former slaves um had no really ability to do anything but stay um, right, And then there was a concerted effort on the part of the white people who were there um, to make it to make very difficult to leave. Yeah, of um, course. In a number of different ways. Um, and we've
1: continued to make it difficult to
0: this day, but yes, that's another yes. story. Um, so, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Lionel Barrymore seemed to have no problem <laughs> playing this guy, and he played this shitty guy, so that's maybe his thing. Um <laughs> And then the other character we need to have to kind of round out the world that we're eventually going to experience is Clarence the Angel. Uh Uh-huh. Played, or I guess his full name is Clarence Oddbody. Um, He's played by Henry Travers, who was 72 uh, when Mm -hmm. this movie uh, was released. Um, I didn't recognize much of anything that he appeared in. Um mm. and he retired soon after this movie came out. So this movie came out in 46. He officially retired in 49. Um huh. but he was in and I'm saying this primarily for our own mother. He was in the movie The Bells of St. Mary's. What um, in God's name is that? <laughs> <laughs> uh let's see if I can ref- I need to refresh my memory a little bit. It sounds you don't I mean
1: it's fine. It sounds boring. Oh, God!
0: I think it's one with um a young Ingrid Bergman. Hold on, oh, a second. I do like her. I know I've seen this film. Oh yeah, it totally really? is Ingrid Bergman and Bing Crosby. That's what I thought.
1: It oh, was. I like um, both of them,
0: yeah, uh. That description is, at a big city Catholic school, Father O'Malley and Sister Benedict, Sister Benedict is Ingrid Bergman, Father O'Malley is Bing Crosby, indulge in a friendly rivalry and succeed in extending the school through the gift of a building.
1: That sounds really boring, but okay. (laughs) I mean, Um. it's from
0: 1945. (laughs) Movies were different then.
1: Yeah. Some of them, there's some breakthroughs that are great. I mean, I could talk about Gaslight all day long, but like, that sounds boring. Um, Then the... Kay, did you have anything else to say about no. Henry Travers? No. Okay, the last person that mom also wanted me to mention Gloria was... Gloria Graham? No. Is she the one who played the blonde? Yes. Um, no. But we can talk about her. I mean, she was blonde, and that basically they treated her like she was a whore.
0: Yes. <laughs> and from from the time she was a small child, they treated yeah, her Yeah, basically. Like. Just
1: because she... Oh, well, cause I don't even know why. Just cause she was blonde, kind and, of. Yeah,
0: kind of, and wore good dresses.
1: And yeah, so. and wore like pretty dresses. I just woke up like this. She basically said I that. Know, at one I know. I loved
0: that line, and I will be mentioning it later.
1: <laughs> but the one, the person that mom wanted me to mention, he literally was uncredited in this movie, so you wouldn't have probably noticed, and okay. I definitely wouldn't have noticed. Is a guy named Carl Switzer,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he played the original Alfalfa. In the Little Rascals slash Our okay. Gang slash I don't know what the difference is. Okay. Um, and he was the guy he played um, the guy that was Mary's date at the dance oh. who opened up the gym floor.
0: Yes, that guy sucked. That I specifically was <laughs> like, this date is like so fucking obnoxious. I would hate well, to be on this date. Well,
1: it's alfalfa. Well, it's alfalfa and. I don't, and mom wanted me to mention him. He, I mean, he was like a really, his. I look, I'm looking at his filmography on Wikipedia right now, and he was in a shit ton of stuff.
0: Yeah, That's um, right.
1: And he also died at 31, which is sad. But like,
0: child actors, man.
1: Like, yeah. Well, he got shot. It was a weird. I like Whoa. started reading the whole like the whole story about it, and it's very bizarre. Whoa. Um. Anyway, wanted to mention him. Cool. Um. Played alfalfa.
0: All right. Fair enough. That's it. Cool. So now let us move into discussing this movie itself. Um, I, and I will say one of the other things I always like when we watch older movies, um, for many reasons, but especially because there's like You just get to appreciate, like, how movies got made in the past, like, differently from how they're done now. So, like, for me, I really liked the credit sequence where it was, like, pages of a Christmas book, like, turning over. And then you see the names of the people. Like, I really love that kind of crap. And I'll also say what I, like, in terms of the filmmaking of this, uh, this movie used a lot of wipes between scenes. Um, Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, where, like... You know what a wipe is, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I I don't know why I like that kind of silliness, (laughs) and so they used it multiple times over. And I was like, oh yeah, that's because it's like probably it was like kind of a new thing back then. Oh yeah,
1: I'm sure they're like this is like a new editing feature we have. I'm gonna wipe this. But wait, did you? I I didn't pay attention to the opening credits, but did they have any in the credits? Do they show anybody that's not an actor? Do they do like producer or oh, anything like that? Do they do crew anything?
0: Yes, they usually do and that's so because that's also a change from how things are done now like usually in previous movies and I don't know exactly like when this starts to change over but like Yeah. Older movies tend to really do the full credit at the beginning.
1: At the um, beginning,
0: and then because at the, get end, the I end, I definitely they noticed say, it was
1: just the actors. Yeah, they just
0: say the end, like yeah, and that's it, basically. I kind of like that. Yeah, um, yeah. No, they do usually. I know you usually see things like cost. I always look for costumes because there's like um, a oh, woman yeah. who I really like called um, Edith Head. I think her name is, and she's a she was a really famous costumer, mm-hmm. um, and at like I want to say in the fifties. Mm. So, yeah, they do. But I but I also think like probably people were much more uncredited because the yeah. jobs were different because you worked for the studio. Like,
1: yeah, um, Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I just said at the end of it when I noticed it was just the actors. I was like, right. that's all that took to make this movie was just the people you saw in front of the camera.
0: Right. Well, that's the thing is like um, Again, this just goes to how movies were made was very different from how they are yeah. now. Um, yeah. And not just because of the studio system, but also because now movies are like super hundreds of people production. Like, yeah, I I absolutely guarantee, though this was probably, a, this was a big budget movie in the 1940s, there is nowhere near as many people working on this as a standard no. big budget movie of today, not even remotely. No. So...
1: No, I mean and they don't even have the same I'm mis- I I literally don't know when certain unions came into play, but they may not have even had all the unions, all the protections, all the this, all the rules so they could have
0: Well, they wouldn't have had probably as um they definitely had unions already. Uh, the actors and Hollywood were some of the first places to really deeply unionize because people were really progressive in those communities. Yeah. Um, but they probably didn't have, like, the diversity of unions, you know, like... Yeah. As, like, whereas now it's like, okay, we're the people who do, like...
1: Specifically this. Right, so we've got our own
0: thing, whereas probably at that, this time, there would have only been maybe one or two things, Uh and you were just in it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we arrive, truly, uh, the first shot is a sign that says, you are now in Bedford Falls um with snow coming down um (laughs) and we hear a bunch of voices like this again there's like some interesting technical stuff here that felt like that to me I just got the feeling like maybe this was kind of new seeming at Mm. the time because we Uh hear because we see Bedford Falls the snow's coming down we get these voiceovers of people praying for George Bailey Mm-hmm. And, like, thanking him for whatever he did in their lives. And as we're hearing that, we're, like, moving upward with the camera. And then we arrive in space. Um Love it. <laughs> yes. And I was really pleased because I, I hadn't seen this movie in so long. And I was like, oh, well, we start in space. So I guess this is a sci-fi movie. So it
1: really <laughs> is super sci-fi. <laughs>
0: um, And, again, I think this would have and this might help explain why this wasn't super well received at its time, I was like, this is probably not what somebody of 1946 was going to be expecting straight away. Um, No. So we get into space, and um, do you want to try and describe, like, visually what we're seeing when we keep saying space? I mean,
1: to me it looked like the sky and stars. Right. And there were, like, a couple stars (laughs) that, like, glowed more Mm -hmm. and like maybe even maybe I'm remembering this wrong but like almost even looked like they were like bouncing as if they were moving and talking Mm -hmm. and then like a third one like flew in (laughs) yeah yeah and they're all talking but they're like bouncing around they're just like they're glowing more they're I don't really know like but it basically just looked like a weird constellation that we were watching
0: yeah and so each time, and so we see these stars, and as I, you said, they're glowing and moving maybe, but that's in conjunction with voiceovers again. So yeah. each time a different person is talking, the star that they're associated with is glowing. Um, <laughs> and, we, and one set of star is Joseph, and then the other initial star is unnamed, but I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be God.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: now, just to clarify, it's 1946. These are men, 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 doing these voices. Um, of course. And Joseph has said to God, um, it's day, It's George Bailey's kind of like, quote-unquote, big day, um, and we need to send someone down uh, to earth to help him on this day. And they're debating who to send. And God says that he wants someone named Clarence to go down, but Joseph doesn't really like this idea because according to Joseph, Clarence, Clarence has is a loser. He says specifically <laughs> he has the IQ of a rabbit. <laughs> Rude to rabbits. And then better still, God's response is yes, but he has the face of a child. And
1: I would argue that when we see him,
0: I may not agree with that, but okay. I also was just like, faith of a child? I don't like that. There was something about that phrase. Wait, did you say
1: faith or face?
0: Faith, with a T-H.
1: Oh, I heard face. I mean... And also, so neither of those things, I feel like, make any sense.
0: um, No, because Henry Travers definitely does not have the face of a child at 72.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was going to say. I would definitely challenge that. But also, faith of a child is just weird to say. I don't yeah. know what that means.
0: I, I mean, I guess I know, I mean, what, I guess I know what that what means. It means but. but I didn't like it. I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> um, and But nonetheless, God is committed that Clarence be the one to go and help George, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: in part because Clarence has been waiting 200 years to get his wings. Um, and this will be important for later. Um, yeah. And then again, we're in this very kind of to me what I think would have seemed novel at the time. And this is part of the reason why I like this movie because it turns out most of this movie is kind of like a flashback. So yeah, and I kind of forget.
1: I kind of forgot about that. Like at certain points, I was like, "Who is talking?" Right. Like I definitely yeah. forgot like where we were at at time. Yeah.
0: So. Clarence you're right. Clarence's star like zips in when he's called to speak with Joseph and God. And they're like Clarence, we have a job for you. You're going to help this guy named George Bailey. And so then to do that, they're like we need to show you things about his life up until this moment that you need to enter into it. Mm-hmm. Um we then cut down to earth yet again. Um <laughs> and we are at a pond like a frozen pond with a hill and mm-hmm. we're told that it's the year 1919 that George is 12 years old um and we see a bunch of kids sledding um but there's something there was something immediately strange to me about this sledding experience <laughs> do you want to explain what is weird about this
1: yeah, well, you wrote it here. I may not have even remembered this, but they're sledding on shovels.
0: Yes. Um, and do you want to try and explain, do you remember, like, how they were doing that? Because sledding on shovels, I think, needs a, maybe a further explanation of how that <laughs> actually works.
1: Well, I, I, can, I, I honestly don't quite remember. I just remember, like, when it turned into him having to save the kid. Right.
0: I don't remember the actual sledding so it's all these little boys, they're running around, and they have uh, not even, like, snow shovels. They have, like, just regular-ass, like, this shovels that are kind like of... Like those
1: iron shovels yeah. like, that you...
0: that you Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they're sitting on the shovel part. Yeah. And then holding the handle in front of them and then sliding down like that. It's a
1: terrible idea. It's I mean, like, so I get it. It's
0: designed... For injury, like yeah,
1: like kid brain, I get it. Um, and let's not pretend that like I didn't go to college and people like slid down hills on like lunch trays, like right. as if that's any safer. Like I get it, but you are literally asking to smack your face into that handle. In...
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this actually goes back to like when we were talking about toboggans and sleds, (laughs) and Jack Frost, like, this to me seems more dangerous than that.
1: Oh, yeah. And there's only... Yeah, and toboggans seem dangerous alone just by themselves, but, yeah, oh, this is absolutely more dangerous. Um, And
0: we see proof of that immediately because then Harry, George's little brother, slides down the little hill and across the frozen pond, and then it turns out that the pond is not as frozen as we thought. And also,
1: kids, like, when are we going to learn about Frozen ponds in movies?
0: <laughs> Just never. That's... Never, that's, for God's sake. That is truly an evergreen danger for children in movies. Is uh, That's
1: another trope in Christmas movies, I will say. If there's a child in the Christmas movie, at one point, they're going to fall in the ice, mm-hmm. someone's going to save them, yep. and that person's going to become, like, somebody's love of somebody's life. Yes,
0: correct. <laughs> in this case, however, the important thing is that Um, George jumps into the icy water to save his little brother and as a result, George gets scarlet fever and then loses hearing in one of his ears, which then the rest of his life he's deaf in one ear because he saves his brother's life. Um, Damn. Yeah, and scarlet fever is a thing people used to get in the olden days. Uh, I don't know that anyone really gets it anymore um but that's it's a main plot point Mm -hmm. then I think we're still more yeah this is soon after that yeah um we follow little George into the drugstore so George is 12 years old and he has his job he's got a job and he's 12. Um, it was rough going back then. Well, I also was thinking, or did he want this job? like I mean, I don't know if he needed to have it, but he's yeah. got it. And I was thinking about this too, like I'm not sure if this was the point of this movie, but because you and I are millennials whose entire lives have gotten worse every day since the day of our birth. um <laughs> mm-hmm. Story checks out, got it. Yes, I'm I'm not saying anything that is not categorically provable by facts. <laughs> um, but like I wondered too if this was also some kind of like, you know, generational reflection because he's like this little boy just as World War 1 is ending and then there's like and you were saying you were confused about the timing on this, but like then as he's like a late teen and early 20s, that's the 1920s and things seem like they're going pretty good. And then mm-hmm. he, he he hits the Great Depression, and then he hits World War II. And, you know, I was just like, huh, maybe there's something there that I'm relating to, but I'm not totally sure about, mm. like, coming of age in these moments of crisis, or, like, larger mm-hmm. crisis. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But nonetheless, George is a 12-year-old boy working at the drugstore, and no one thinks that's weird. Um, yeah. And while he's working at the drugstore... We see both little tiny Violet and little tiny Mary. Um, I will say, like, truly, when I was looking at these kids, they're both cute, these little girls that they've gotten to play, these young versions of the characters. And little George is cute as a little button. Very cute. no, also that hat he wears is cute. I know. Um, So the two girls are, like, gossiping about George. And... (laughs) um, Then Violet is a bit forward with him and then walks out, but Mary, always the more meek one, Um, when George kind of bends away from her to do something, she whispers like into his deaf ear that she's going to love him forever. And you know, I don't know if that's good or bad. And another one bites hap- the dust. I know. I say. know. <laughs> uh, there's something metaphorically concerning to me that she is telling her deepest feelings to an ear that can't hear. Um, and also that she's telling somebody she's gonna
1: love them. Whatever you just said when she's ten. Also that
0: sure. Um, <clears throat> oh no. Although no, no, she's. I think she's maybe meant to be eight. Oh, my God. That's even more. I don't know for sure, but I think that might be. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then uh, George sees a telegram that's been left out somewhere, like, I guess, near the cash register that says that Mr. Gower, the druggist, the guy who runs the store, his mm-hmm. son has died of influenza because it's 1919. Um, oh, shit balls. Yep. That's what I mean, man. Like... Uh, so... Damn. So, uh, so then we kind of see more closely Mr. Gower, and it's obvious that he's been drinking, like, since he's read this telegram. Yeah. And so because he's been drinking, what does he do? Um, he messes up the orders
1: that he's putting in, um, he puts the wrong pills in the boxes that he's supposed to, that George is supposed to deliver.
0: Right. And and George notices that something is kind of off, but he's not sure what to do. So then he runs to talk to his dad. His dad is Peter Bailey, who is the owner and operator of Bailey's building and loan, uh, which we will spend quite a lot of time in as the movie goes on. yeah. Um, But, His dad doesn't really have the time to help him with this issue, so George ends up coming back to uh, the drugstore, and now Mr. Gower is on the phone, and he's getting a phone call from the person who was expecting their pills to be delivered. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then uh, Mr. Gower gets extremely angry. This part was
1: disturbing. I didn't.
0: I I had forgotten this part too, and then I was like, oh yeah, this is this is always a bad part. Um, yeah. because, uh, Mr. Gower, like, starts hitting this little boy, um... Like, in his face. Yeah, and and the little boy is saying, like, not on my bad ear, not on my bad ear. Um... So sad. It's really sad, and then his little ear is bleeding afterwards. I hated that. Um, but then he finally is able to, like, be like, but Mr. Gower, you put something wrong in the pills. Like, uh... And so then Mr. Gower kind of stops for a second and checks what he's done. And he realizes uh, that George has, you know, saved the day in a sense.
1: Um, mm-hmm. And then
0: they have this very nice hug. And I was like, you should not hug that man. Like, not Seriously. nice. like
1: he just made your ear bleed. Yeah.
0: I mean, this just shows that the, like, you know, greatest generation, they needed some therapy. Holy shit. Well, yeah, because they were were taught
1: that that's normal. Because
0: this story is endearing because then we cut to many years later and George is buying a suitcase to go off to college. And he's given... It turns out he's had a special suitcase made for him with his name on it. And who has bought it? Mr. Gower. And Mm so... As our as the viewer, what we're supposed to know is like all of this is heartwarming,
1: yeah, which or it's like abuse that's like continued <laughs> like
0: well, yeah, like probably it was, but like in the context of the people watching this movie in nineteen forty six, they would been like, yes, this makes complete sense, like, yeah, totally, um, which I am like, this is not good, like, um, <laughs> but nonetheless, George is now. Uh, just to clarify your point of like how old you think he might be, I think he's yeah. probably supposed to be like twenty twenty one, at this point. Okay, mm, okay, and because he is because they the whole thing is that he's put off going to college, um, because of right. it's
1: supposed to be nineteen twenty eight. Because I remember they show in the background. Oh, that's
0: right. So he's twelve in nineteen nineteen. It's yeah. nine years later, so he's twenty one. That's right. Okay. Okay. So he's put off going to college um, because his family uh, doesn't have very much money because the building and loan is not a money-making endeavor. Um, Mm -hmm. But now he's, like, all stoked to go out on his own. And the main point here is for us to know as the audience that, like, his star is on the rise, he's got these big dreams, and he's off on his way. Um, So when he walks out of the store with his suitcase this is when he sees grown-up violet and she's wearing i am admittedly not all looks age well but she did look really great in this dress she's she looked in. awesome yeah and they and he compliments her on it and her reaction which i wrote down because i was like this is so good and someday maybe i'll be cool enough to say this um mm. She's like, this old thing, why I only uh, ever wear it when I don't care how I look. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Violet. And then she
1: does a literal hair flip. I she know. Does I was like, whole,
0: like, this bitch knows what's what. She's great. I love her so much. <laughs> and, like, because she then, if he's, yeah, because she's graduating that year. So she's 18. So if I, if I had that, like, level of self-confidence when I was 18 <laughs> years old, my God, what a what kind of a person would I be today if I had like been living my life like that level of confidence this whole time? Like, wow, I I don't even know where it's I'd be. That's a great be.
1: question. Well, it also like they literally show people like other men like walking down the street, like almost getting hit by cars Correct. looking at her.
0: <laughs> Correct. And that's less good. I'm less <laughs> excited about that. I I like her self-confidence more. Yeah. Um, Then we find our way into the Bailey home. George and Harry are upstairs singing and shouting to such a degree that, like, the lamp downstairs is shaking. um, Yeah. And their parents are like, oh, these boys going nuts. (laughs) Um, And then we learn that uh, this particular evening, Harry is graduating from high school. Um. And he's like, "Why don't you come to the party, George?" Um, and George is initially reluctant, but he ultimately goes. But before that happens, uh, George's dad takes this moment with him, and he offers him a job working at the um, building alone. But mm-hmm. George doesn't want it because he's like, "I have bigger fish to fry. I'm gonna affect. I'm gonna do big things." And um, his dad is like, well, the building and loan makes a big difference in people's lives, even though it seems like, you know, the money and st- that's small time. But, like, the difference that it makes is what matters. And mm-hmm. George, as a young 21-year-old, is like, I don't give a shit about any of that. Get out of <laughs> here. I'm not doing and it. And fair enough. That sounds funny <laughs> Yeah. yeah he's, and he does say, like, I've already um you know put my life on hold to save money to go to college and so I'm not mm-hmm. gonna do that and he, he does say and this is something that I think Jimmy Stewart does really well there are various times where he really acts the shit out of like I am missing out my friends have already gone ahead of me and he says here yeah like, most of my friends have already finished college and I haven't even mm. begun you know like so mm-hmm. these are his feelings um Nonetheless, he decides to go to the graduation party with Harry, Um, and part of what we learn at this 1928 high school graduation party is everyone's drinking gin. (laughs) Um, That's a whole (laughs) thing. Um, And we also learn that George has designed the new gym uh, that they're dancing in, and the cool thing about it is that the pool is underneath the basketball floor, like the You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the whole thing. That's his
1: idea. Well, good for him.
0: Yep. Yep. So that shows us, that's meant to show us again that he's got these cool original ideas and he wants to be an architect. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone's like, this is again, it's like a big, it actually looks like kind of a fun party. uh, I'm not going to lie. But it also reminded me a bit of the party that we don't ever actually see, but that is implied at the end of The Shining. (laughs) Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I'm like, oh, it's all mm-hmm. black and white, and everyone's like Charlestoning it up, yeah, like nuts. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is where your good friend Alfalfa appears. This is um, where Alfalfa is. Because some man walks up and it's like, Hey, uh George, would you dance with my sister Mary? And George is like, Oh, you know, I don't know. But then he sees Mary, and of course, as we already know. Mary is beautiful because Donna Reed is beautiful, according to facts. Um, and, and so then George starts walking over to Mary. But meanwhile, we get to hear the, the audio of her date. And it is, I was like sitting there. I was like, I am being triggered by how much this guy is talking about himself and not listening. And he's talking too loud. And he's being very obnoxious. And she, like Mary couldn't be less interested In what is happening. Um, So then uh, George asks her to dance. And that's right as the big Charleston contest kicks off. Um, And so then we see dozens of people doing the Charleston, which was pretty fun, I will say. Um, But because Mary's date is so angry at being Mm -hmm. left in the lurch... Some other man is like, well, I can tell you where the key is to where you can activate the thing and then the floor will open up and then the pool will be there. Um, So that's precisely what Alfalfa does, like a little imp. (laughs) Um, And then do you want to describe, like, as the pool's opening up, what's happening with Mary and George?
1: Yeah, they they continue to dance and everybody around them kind of stops and is like... They're all noticing the floor opening, and for some reason, these two dingbats aren't. Correct. And um, they just continue to furiously dance. And that's a
0: good adverb to describe <laughs> the way they're dancing. <laughs> they're dancing with
1: real and, fury. Oh my god! And then George Bailey's like, "Oh, we must be pretty good. Like, we must be pretty good at this." And then they fall their asses into the pool.
0: Yes. Um. And I. This was another scene that I remembered quite vividly from previous. Watchings, and I will say, mm-hmm. I do like the bits like where they're not fully falling in yet, but they're like kind of getting to the edge and then they kind of kick out a leg and then they come yeah. back. Like, that's all very yeah. fun. Um, but yes, they do ultimately fall into the pool, and then everyone How else did you not notice the floor was leaving? That's my only know. question. I don't think that, yeah, I don't know. Um, so then the whole party jumps into the pool, and then we cut to Uh, George walking Mary home, and they both have clothes on that are silly because he's, like, stolen them from the locker room. So he's kind of half-dressed in an old-timey football uniform. Um, I mean, it wasn't old-timey then. It's old-timey to us. Um, And Mary's just wearing a big bathrobe. Um, And on their way to her house, they walk past 320 Sycamore, And Mary says she loves this old house, and George is like, oh, this house is a piece of shit. Um, What we do is we throw rocks, and if you hit, if you break glass, like if you break a window, then you can make a wish. Um, Which he does, and then Mary does as well. He Mm -hmm. wishes, he tells her, because she asks, like, what did you wish for? and he says don't
1: they know the cardinal rule of wishing
0: well she <laughs> does clearly even but so then why is she even asking him who's to say um cuz and he says so he's actually this proves if you make a wish on an eyelash or on a coin in a fountain um or on a breaking window in an old abandoned home um never tell anybody what that wish is cuz you La-doy, will the doey that's like it. the that's literally the n- only rule about wishes. <laughs> yes. So, but, so, George tells her that he wishes for, like, big adventures and big things, and the more he kind of gets excited about that, the sadder Mary seems to look. Um, yeah. But she does not tell him her wish. Mm-hmm. Um, and they keep slowly meandering down the street. This is when you get the famous Buffalo Gals, won't you come out tonight, singing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Then, I mean, there's various like him and her bantering, which I don't think we really need to discuss because Mm -hmm. ultimately what happens is um, Uncle Billy, this is George's Uncle Billy, and his brother Harry are like bombing down the street looking for George because uh, George's father has had a stroke. And so they need to get him and have him come back to the house yeah um, so first date ended a bit abruptly for Mary and George. um then we end up back in the building in loan three about three months later. Mm-hmm. and what we learn is that officially, like George's father passed away as a result of this stroke, that George mm-hmm. has been at the building in loan, kind of getting things in order as a result of his father's death um and the big kind of I don't know if he was supposed to go to Europe or where he was supposed to go, but he was planning this big summer of travel, and then he was Mm going to go to college after that in the fall.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. So he
0: missed out on the summer travel bit, but now it's like, well, now you're going to, I'm going, I think he was supposed to get on the train for college like that afternoon or something. Mm. Okay. Um, At this juncture, the building and loan is controlled by a board of executives um of which mr potter is one and mr potter at this meeting is like i propose that we shut down the building in loan um that it kind of only was able to keep going on because peter bailey was here and now he's gone and then we see the first of what becomes a series of things where george is giving a rousing speech um mm-hmm. but i did like uh Mr. Potter yawns during George's speech, <laughs> which I thought was really good. Um, and George's main thing that he says is that um, we need the building and loan because Potter has already started to basically own almost everything else in the town. Um, mm-hmm. And so that there needs, and specifically he also kind of at this point is owns the bank. So people need an alternative to him. Uh, for the town to be kind of robust enough. Um, And so then uh, Uncle Billy and George are asked to leave during the discussion of the board because they're not actually on the board. Mm -hmm. Um, And when the board comes to the decision, what they are told is that the building and loan will remain in operation, but the board has created the condition that that will only be allowed to happen if George is going to be in charge. So, mm-hmm. so then we go back up to space, <laughs> um, where we learn that as a result of this turn of events, George doesn't go to college. And I don't think they make this super apparent, but I think this is implied the money that George had saved for himself to go to college. Then Harry uses it to go to college instead. Mm-hmm. Um, Next, we cut to a train station again in Bedford Falls. I think this is supposed to be four years later, like when Harry has finished college, mm-hmm. but I'm not totally mm-hmm. sure. Um, and we, George is planning to meet Harry, but then the surprise is, what has Harry done? Um, the I don't know. He's gotten <laughs> married. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yes, he's eloped with this woman named Ruth. Oh, right, And he's, like, introducing her to the family. Um,
1: And this is four years later, you said? I think so. I think so. So that would be 1932. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um,
0: So, yeah. So as they're introducing themselves to Ruth, uh, I forget who asked, but they're like, how did you, like, get him to agree to get married or whatever. And um she's like, "Well, uh my father offered him a job and he's like going to go do research at the glass factory in Buffalo," which I'm like, "If someone offered me That sounds me, like hell. I know, if someone offered me that job, I'd be like, "That's the opposite. I know, not only shall I not marry you, I think we need to break up and never see each other again." That literally <laughs> sounds like
1: the worst job for some reason. <laughs> like there's nothing
0: redeeming about that. Um, but this is another part where I thought like Jimmy Stewart's acting was really good. So there's like this reveal that, cause she's, she just says it first. Like my father offered him a job and then Mm -hmm. Harry hangs back with George and he's like, she spoke out of turn. I haven't actually accepted the job. I know cause the, the deal that was struck was that, um, Harry was supposed to come back. And then I think George was then still maybe planning on going to college at this point. Mhm. Um so he's like I know he, Harry's basically saying like I know the deal that was struck. I'm meant to come back and work at the building and loan. Um mm-hmm. and so then he kind of walks off and then there's this long shot of watching Jimmy Stewart walk through this crowd of people at the train station and his face is like going from deep upset or surprise I guess first. Then mm-hmm kind of deep upset at a realization of something and mm-hmm. then kind of like resignation slash acceptance and then at the end he is when he asks Ruth about the job and that's when she tells him about the glass factory in Buffalo. <laughs> and I was just like, woof.
1: Oh my God.
0: Um. So then there's a, a little bit of a scene where we see everybody in the Bailey family celebrating George's return and also his um elopement. Um George, however, is not quite as happy about this turn of events. Um mm-hmm. but his mother has mentioned that Mary Hatch has come back from college. So she's now finished college as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has moved back in with her parents. So George then finds himself pacing in front of Mary's house. Mary sees him <sighs> yep um mary sees that's on him
1: he didn't have to go there
0: no he didn't have to go there um so she invites him in and he's actually quite rude to her from the start super rude (laughs) um his whole kind of vibe here is a very like pickup artist negging vibe situation. Yeah, I was super
1: confused at one part, like close to the yes. end of the scene. I yes. was like, wait, what is happening? I, yes. I
0: agree with you. And I think I know what you mean. But so like at this point, George is coming in hot and basically saying <laughs> like, you've just finished college. And I, it's kind of, I think she's gone to college in New York city, but it's not totally clear. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, why have you come back to Bedford Falls? Basically, it's like only a loser would ever do that. (laughs) Um, And she's like, well, I missed home and I, you know, but, like, um, it's already implied to us. Like, we know that the reason why she's come back, it's for George. Yeah. Um, But because she has come back for him and because the first time she sees him since having done that, he's acting like a complete jerk. Uh, they start to fight. Um, I think he kind of goes out of the house for a second because then she smashes the record she was playing on the phonograph. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then she's expecting a call from one of her old classmates, a guy named Sam Wainwright, who it's clear that Mary's mother believes this is the man that Mary is going to get married to. Um, Mm -hmm. Because Sam is calling from New York City to talk about something. And when, mm-hmm. when Mary picks up the phone, she's like, oh, you know, George Bailey is here. And Sam's like, oh, I would love to speak with him. And th- I think this is the part you mean because I was similarly confused by this. So you sort of hear what Sam is saying on the other end of the line. Mm-hmm. And you, it's like he's inviting George to some business deal um, yeah. that Sam is going to be a part of. And George, I guess, is a bit skeptical but in the midst um, of this, George starts getting angry again. Um, yeah. And then he's shouting, and then the phone's thrown to the ground, and then he's shouting, and he's shouting right in Mary's face, and she's looking up to him, and he I think he even does a bit of the thing I've said before that I really like in an old movie is when men just, like, shake women and their heads are, he like, definitely, flopping around. He definitely,
1: he definitely shook her face and was like, I don't want to get married. I don't like you. Or maybe he didn't say I, right. I don't like you. Right. But he was like, I don't want to settle down. I don't And the, But then, like, is simultaneously kissing her. Right. And, like, her mother's like, comes down and starts, like, looking at them. And I can't tell if she's, like, horrified or, like, happy. I think and, horrified. I would be
0: horrified.
1: I mean, it was horrifying. But I think she was kind of happy because it was, like... It was, that's why I was so, I literally was like, wait, what is happening? Like, are they fighting? Are they, is he abusing her? Is he kissing her? Like, I really was genuinely
0: confused. I mean, the answer to all of those questions is yes. So. Yeah.
1: And then like, and you know, the thing that that kind of annoys me about this movie is because like, uh, well, I guess we'll get there, but like that he made that choice. Like he was frustratingly. Like giving into whatever it was, he thought she was pressuring him. She,
0: I don't think she pressured him the way no. that he,
1: in his mind, believes.
0: No, I don't know why receiving that phone call to him felt like a trick. He went to her house. I know he didn't have to go there. I know. And besides which, all I mean, I don't know what dating in the nineteen forties was like. I can't, can't be great, um, but like. <laughs> What I didn't what I don't understand about this whole thing is like he went to her house. He obviously wanted to see her. Then he acted yeah. like a dick. She got angry. Then the date was over.
1: And was then it even a
0: date. That's a shit ass date. I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But um then they're on the phone and he's, yeah, shouting in her face that he doesn't want to get married. And I'm like, <laughs> That seems like you're did getting she ahead ask of you. I no. This yeah. sounds like you're getting way ahead of yourself.
1: Like, but I guess like that was the implication back then. Like people didn't whatever. What do I know? But like I don't think people did really date. Like this is just fun and cash. It was like oh, I mean, are we
0: gonna get married? People didn't date right? like it was fun and cash. But I have to assume <laughs> that like even Mary, who like lifelong loved George, I think she probably would have expected like a couple visits to the house before a marriage proposal. Like, sure.
1: I, but we don't really see that. Cause the no. next shot after he's like aggressively kissing her face is
0: them being married. Correct. And, and this is where I truly don't, this is one of the jumps that really doesn't clarify how much time has passed. Yeah. Um,
1: and this because this was the sort of like my main like when we get to like what is, I would say, present day when they're married, I get but that's not exactly present day because then they have kids. Right. Mm. Right. By the time we get up to what if, whatever is supposed to be present day, is it supposed to be 1946? I think so. Because I felt like those. <laughs> I don't know anything, but I felt like the cars they were driving seemed older than that.
0: maybe I mean they also aren't meant to have much money so they probably don't have
1: as new a car
0: as other people and you know but yes you're exactly right we follow and George and Mary are now getting married and we catch up with them on the day of their wedding and their honeymoon and they've got Mm -hmm. $2,000 and they're set to go on this big honeymoon trip to New York City and I think they also maybe then say someplace in Europe but I can't remember um, mm. But as they're leaving, they see that there has been a run on the bank. Um,
1: now, I, I'll i be honest, like this entire financial part, I was like, I have no effing clue what's happening. I don't know what a run on the bank is. I don't know what his job is anymore because I'm confused. Yeah. Um, I didn't get any of it.
0: Okay, I was going to ask you if you knew what a run on the bank. Never.
1: Is. I have no idea what that means. Uh,
0: so so we're not totally sure exactly what time this is, but it is um, the Depression. Mm. Uh, so people thirties, and,
1: and did they ransack the bank? Is that what that means?
0: No. So what would often happen in the 30s um, because, like, w- Now, and I I promise not to get too deep into financial history, folks. Please Um, don't. (laughs) So now, as a result of these events from the 30s, we have like a federally run insurance system that basically ensures to us, if we've got our money in banks, that um, that money won't just simply disappear one day because the bank made a bad investment.
1: Oh, gotcha. Uh Okay.
0: And and the other kind of piece of this is to remember that then as now, banking and financial institutions take the money that you put into them to make investments for themselves as institutions, and then they use that to cycle back in, so, like, if you want to take your money out, you know, they got it, right? Like, that's more... Yeah. And to make more money, because they're a financial institution. Yeah. But before the laws that got put in place as a result of the Great Depression, there was no protection that, like, banks technically could be like, we're taking all of the cash that we've got and we're putting it and into you're a stock not. market. Yeah.
1: And you're not getting it back?
0: There, there's no guarantee. Why would
1: anyone, then why would literally anyone put their money in a bank?
0: Because, well, especially throughout the 1920s, this was really common to do this kind of speculation um, mm. and it was considered like to not do it was irresponsible, if that makes oh. sense. Yeah. Um, I
1: mean, that's the way people feel about them now. And I guess maybe it's similar, even though they can't lose your money, they do take it in a form.
0: <laughs> right. Um, but so basically a run on the bank is when, um, a financial institute also because financial institutions were much smaller, like a, a little yeah. local bank where like yeah. all the money is just from the people in town. Um, uh-huh. and so a run on the bank means that there's been a rumor and sometimes those rumors are founded and sometimes they're unfounded, um, that the, that the money is gone, that the bank has made a bad decision oh, and the money is gone. So the run is actually like a literal of people running to the bank to try and get, to get out their money, the money that they can before the bank runs out of money. Jesus. Right. And so this was actually super common throughout the Depression, to see this happen. And banks would fold and close all the time like this. Um, so that is what George and Mary see as they are supposed to be driving out of town on their honeymoon. And the run is at the building and loan. So George gets out of the car. He goes into the building and loan. And what we learn is that... Uh, the So the building and loan is separate from the bank. The bank is a different entity and the bank is owned by mr potter and the building and loan is owned by the bailey family but the bailey the bailey building and loan to keep its business going has is always uh borrowing money from the bank Mm -hmm. so the bank owned by mr potter has called in to collect the loan that it has given to the building and loan. And the purpose of doing this is because Potter wants to drive them out of business. Yikes. Okay. That's a little bit complicated (laughs) maybe, but that's basically what we're dealing with here. Okay. Um, So then all the people who are... Um, members of the Building and Loan. Building and Loan is kind of like a credit union-ish, like to put it in okay. more modern parlance. Um, okay. So all the people who have their money at the Building and Loan have come to the Building and Loan because they've heard about this turn of events and they, and they want their full amount of money back. And that's when Potter calls up George Bailey and says, well, I know you can't give them their money back. But if you want Mm -hmm. to kind of end this scandal, you can send them over to me and I will offer them 50 cents for every dollar that they held with you. Um, And again, the whole point of this is to try and drive the building and loan out of business. Um, And George refuses to do that. um, And he's like, and for some reason, I don't know why this is the way they're doing it, but like basically Potter is like, if you close your doors before your normal closing time, then, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I will assume you're ruined. You know, like, you can't, then you will never open up again. So Mm -hmm. the job that they have to do is to remain open until closing time at 6. So uh, George comes out of his office. Um, Again, he gives a speech to the people saying, like, don't let Potter kind of... Uh, trick you into this deal of 50 percent he already owns basically everything in town except for the building and loan Mm -hmm. and that doesn't really convince anybody um but then mary comes along and she's like we'll we've got two thousand dollars so it's the money for their honeymoon um can we give you some money to tide you over until we get more money again um, and this is when you see various people, like that one guy, he's like, I refu- I must have my $242. And he's like, but this is only just for like a week. Like, can you get by for a week on less than that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that one lady says seventeen fifty, and Jimmy Stewart like gives her a kiss on the lips. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then finally, like we cut to, they've managed to stay open till six and they have $2 left. And it's like aye, aye, aye. crisis averted, but in the in the hubbub of all of this, uh, George has lost track of Mary, and then he's like, "Wait, where's my wife?" <laughs> um, and she then calls him and is like, "Come to three twenty Sycamore." Um, and what has she done at three twenty Sycamore?
1: She's set up a little like honeymoon suite. Um... And it's still creepy though, because it's like still like abandoned and kind of nasty. But she's, like, made it cutesy. And can we talk about the fact that those two guys are called Bert and Ernie?
0: I know. I loved it. I really loved it quite a lot. But
1: do, you, do you think that Bert and Ernie, like, got that from this movie? Or when the heck did Sesame Street start?
0: I mean, way after this. Oh. <laughs> um, I, di- I did wonder that, too, if Bert and Ernie, like, that name was inspired At by At one part this they hair. said Bert and Ernie, like, three times in a row, and I was like, I can't. <laughs> like, I know. I know. I hadn't noticed it until just now, or until this scene, either and i was like oh man this is great um (laughs) because they're there helping uh mary do this like honeymoon thing in this fallen down home um which was truly like a very sweet touch and also i think this scene has been done in other movies as well of like make the cute thing in the gross thing and yeah i think they do it
1: in yeah in the notebook there's a kind of version of it
0: yeah Um, so then, again, slightly more time passes, and we see that George has created something called Bailey Park, which is, like, Mm. a housing development for low-income families, basically, would be the modern way of saying it, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, this is greatly, the existence of Bailey Park is greatly upsetting to Mr. Potter, because... Um, That's really being quite successful, and Mm -hmm. Mr. Potter has basically gotten committed to the idea of ruining George Bailey at all (laughs) costs. Yeah, he's a dick. He's bad from start to finish. Like, he's different from other characters that we often see in these movies now, which is, like, he doesn't have a redemption like, he sucks.
1: And I don't think that I put together in the slightest that he was the guy from The Little Colonel.
0: No, he looked a bit different by now. I mean, that's quite a lot of years in between these two things. I'm pretty I
1: forget. sure. Oh, okay.
0: Um, so, so then a bit later we see that Mr. Potter has invited George to come and speak with him. And he's basically like, you know, George, um, you're probably the best kind of businessman in town you're the only person in town who's ever beaten me at anything um and so I'm impressed by that even though I also hate you like he like he says that outright (laughs) like you know
1: um I appreciate that
0: but and so I think and he also I think by now we're probably to the middle 30s ish um because he's like you and I were the only businesses that kind of hung on through the worst of it. And he means, like, the Depression. Because by the middle 30s, things are starting to kind of shake out a bit better for the country economically. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also like, but, like, you know, you're. he says he's 28 years old at this point, George is, and you're only mm-hmm. making $45 a week, which is like, oh, my God, what? Um, <laughs> and so... Potter is basically like, on that amount of money, there won't ever be, like, savings. And if you ever have children, then really nothing. Um, You're not going anywhere. And so then he's like, well, since you're so good at what you've already done, I'm offering you $20,000 a year uh, to work for me. 20 grand. And that was a lot of money back then.
1: Yeah, I mean... I mean, it truly actually is. Like, that's actually not bad.
0: Amy, are you saying that in 2021 you would be happy no, to No, receive- I'm not say-
1: No. <laughs> no, but I feel like some people probably, unfortunately, do make that or less based on yes, some of their absolutely. shit jobs that's that we true. have here. That's true. Um, and not that the jobs are shit, but the what people are right. willing to pay people right. is shit. Right. Um, so in So I'm thinking if that is what... Because what, what would you say? – what is the median income now or, like, what people are supposed to get? Like, 40000 that's, like, median? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I think know. that's
0: the least you could make to, like, just be –
1: Survive. Basically
0: comfortable. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it would depend 20, where in the 19... country
0: you're talking yes. about
1: as well. Right, right, right. So – in 1946, 20,000 seems pretty good actually. Yeah. No, it's
0: meant to be a shocking sum, I think. Um Yeah. And actually, let's see. I want to look up
1: what that would the equivalent yeah. of that would be now.
0: Cuz I often you find could ask myself Siri. doing this. Yeah. So that's the equivalent of being offered $280,000 a year. Holy shit. <laughs> see? <laughs> That's that's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. It's a hundred percent a lot of money. Um and it's that's also got cl- like other perks as well yeah. included. Holy in it. shit. Um and so it's a real I mean, so rightfully, George really pauses on this for mm-hmm. a moment and he says, like, can I say And then has
1: another speech you said? <laughs> yes.
0: Um he pauses on it and he actually even shakes Mr. Potter's hand, because he's like, I want to think it over and talk about it with my wife. Mm -hmm. But, like, the act of shaking Potter's hand, he, like, look. This is, again, a bit of good, subtle acting. Like, Jimmy Stewart looks at his hand and immediately gets this look of disgust on his face. Yeah. And then he's immediately like, no, I could never... I don't know what you're thinking. And then, again, yes, he launches into yet another speech. Um, which is getting and Jimmy Stewart has at this point. Yeah, I mean, but. he
1: like he tends to play very verbose guys. Yes. Well, and, and also,
0: like, in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, he's doing a lot of that as well.
1: And I feel like he does it in The Man Who Knew Too Much a lot, too. Yeah. He doesn't shut up a lot. Yeah. Like, and he has such an interesting cadence to his voice anyway and an interesting, I don't even know, like, it's a cadence and it's a timbre. it's yeah. The, like
0: yeah i i wonder if I either of us can do a good impression like oh i'm it in. is that like
1: it's, yeah, it's yeah it's like rah, 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 rah. i'm j- yeah cuz it's like i cause i have to i have to like i have to channel like, like the man who knew too much a little bit and he's like no 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 no, no, no come in no, no. tell tell me now no. what did what did, what, did, what did he say now It's like this like yeah it's, it's like,
0: like mr paul it's a little it's a little yeah 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 um, and it's got, like, a, a waveriness to his voice. But it is, like,
1: somehow. a very, like, almost you <laughs> have to do, like, a little... It's almost, oh, it's almost like it It works better. I'm doing it right now. If you put your fingers around your mouth and do, like, a perfect circle and then do, like, a little <laughs> bit of, like, you a mean duck face. You like, a base. baby voice? <laughs> kind of. But you have to do kind of, like, a little duck face with I was it actually... And, uh...
0: I was picturing more, like, if I imagine, like... Holding a bunch of marbles on my tongue, and like what I would, I how I would have to move my mouth around to get around those. It's marbles. a little bit
1: of like vocal fry, too. Yes,
0: absolutely, it's for sure. Very interesting. Um, so he gives this speech and he refuses, but that comes at a cost because then we're back at his house. It's late at night. He comes in. He's looking quite defeated. Um, and you, and this again, we get some voiceovers of different people's voices from the movie so far, kind of, mm-hmm. and like, he's like all these opportunities, basically, he's thinking over that he's missed,
1: right? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so Mary wakes up, she, he's walked into their bedroom and she wakes up and because he's feeling so sad, sacky and self-pitying, <laughs> uh, he's like, why, why would you even marry me? Um, he's real
1: annoying I'm gonna be honest I, I mean say right look now.
0: I I certainly feel self-pitying plenty of the time so I do get it but it's also like <laughs> really obnoxious and unattractive it's when people are annoying. like this
1: <laughs> and and like and the thing is like you can't <laughs> I'm not telling, telling anybody how to live their lives but like everybody could come up with a reason to be super depressed (laughs) if they thought about every single choice in their life and And if they had made a different one yeah
0: the opportunities missed or the The, i mean that's not not the way to be yeah
1: yeah and i mean i guess that's the whole like premise and the lesson that's learned but like like you could anybody could come up with a reason to feel like a loser or depressed or, like, they didn't make anything of themselves on any given day. Right. And, you know, like, maybe Oprah doesn't feel that way, but, like, <laughs> everybody else has got I to like go that through that point. I like that's your go-to
0: person. Like, the only person who lives without
1: regret is Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying she shouldn't have regret because she's not done everything perfectly in her life, but, like... And, I, and I'm and i not even that big of an Oprah fan, so it is weird. But she's just the one that came to mind where, like, on a daily basis, I wouldn't think that she'd be like, hmm, I miss so many opportunities. Cause right, right. Right. She has her own network, her own magazine, her own, you know, it's like she's done okay. She um, has. <laughs> she's, like, sitting in her, like, 34th house being like, well, I'm sad. But, like. The but your everybody Oprah else voice
0: sounds a bit like your Jimmy Stewart at this
1: point. <laughs> I can't do I can't do an Oprah impression. I'm I am can not do multiple. I'm not an impressionist. Okay. Everyone um, gets
0: a new bit
1: of regret. Okay, you have to go like a new car. <laughs> <laughs> like, but. The, but besides Oprah, the point is everybody's life is a bit of a disappointment. For sure. So like, yes. Get over it.
0: I know. Well, and <laughs> here's here's the best part about the response that Mary says. So he says like, why would? And you, also he she he wakes her up to say this. I'd be like, I bitch, I'm sleeping. I would be very irritated if I was woken up to then my partner being like, please tell me why I'm worth even remaining alive. Like,
1: yeah, I'd be like, I, come on, bro. I would be like, this you know, the
0: I. Is the, how serious is this, I guess, would be my follow-up question.
1: <laughs> are we, like, being real right now, or are you just needing, like, some reassurance? Yeah.
0: Um, but so her response, which is maybe kind of in between what we've just said, her response is, I married you so I wouldn't be an old maid.
1: Which is... Not
0: the best. <laughs> which is, like, not even close to... A ringing endorsement of anything, not even like, a little bit, and ca- really I was, not. A, and also, it's not really true. Like, no, uh, like, I mean, we know because we know Mary and how much she loves him. So, like, this is meant to be a joke. But I was like, uh, yeah,
1: not the time.
0: <laughs> I don't <But> know. Like, <laughs> like, and I guess
1: technically, it's that is why everybody. It's also well, yeah.
0: foreshadowing. But it's yeah.
1: foreshadowing, but it's also, like, technically the reason anybody marries right. anybody. So I'm
0: not alone forever.
1: I, exactly. <laughs> like, you happen to be the closest thing. Like
0: So, look, Amy, I am just, you are welcome because now you have the cool message you can put on a t-shirt for Isaac at your next wedding anniversary. I married you so oh, I wouldn't be alone. Love, Amy. That's really, yeah,
1: it's real sweet. It's, like, really personal. It makes people feel really good
0: about themselves. So, yeah, it's a good idea. Um, But then she says something that is meant to be sweet, and I guess kind of is. She also is like, and because I wanted my baby to look like you. And he's like, what? Hmm.
1: I don't really actually think that's that sweet, but okay. Um, Well, it's sweet to people who want to have kids, Amy. Well, no, no, no. I mean that that's sort of – it's also a little bit like – okay, whatever. We don't have to dissect every (laughs) single line, but – Um, it's not as sweet as I think that it sounds.
0: Fair enough. But what I especially liked was then he... Was that
1: her way of announcing that she was pregnant? Yes.
0: Yes, that's her... that is a little cute. Her reveal. And then he says, is it a boy or a girl? And she says, "Mm mm-hmm. Which I liked, because it's like, it's one of those. And also,
1: bro, it's 1940-something. What is she... How is she... She doesn't know that information.
0: Yeah, but like... (laughs) Just picture this, like, um, even in 2021, unless you have had a child, you still don't even know all the things that happen to a person's body when they're pregnant. Like, that information is just not out there, even now, as much as you would imagine. But in 1946, I would not be surprised if a man, and I don't think he really did, but let's just say, um, imagined that a woman might know that. I, you know, just like, like
1: by intuition, yes. like, oh, I know that it's a boy. Right. I mean, there's all types of like things that people say that they think. Uh, sure. You know, yeah. but all that is basically BS, I think, in terms of science.
0: Well, yes, that is true. Um, So then we have a real a much longer time passing montage. And this is where we go from like, we're now this we're getting now present day. Yes. Now we're into like the current. Um Okay. And where we are is that... Uh, I think this is
1: when I started falling asleep. I'm not going to lie.
0: And actually, we might even still be... A, no, I think, I think... Well, let's say it's in the present. Because we come <sighs> back and now um, World War II has happened. And mm-hmm. Harry, George's younger brother, is now a war hero. Mm-hmm. And the town of Bedford Falls is preparing... To welcome him back because he's won this like Congressional Medal of Honor thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And both George and Uncle Billy are exceedingly proud of Harry and are walking around with a local paper and showing it to everyone. Um, It also just so happens to be Christmas Eve. It also just so happens that the bank examiner is there to check out the building and loan. I don't know why he's working on Christmas Eve, but whatever. That's what he's doing.
1: He's Scrooge apparently.
0: And then a strange turn of events happens, which is Uncle Billy is at the bank making his deposit. So like I just said, like the bank gives money to the building and loan, and then they in turn have to pay back the loans that they get. So this is a very big deposit onto the loan that they've received from the bank and Uncle Billy has been put in charge of it although clearly Uncle Billy shouldn't be put in charge of anything. For God's sakes. Um, And so Uncle Billy is like filling out his deposit slip stuff and he's counting them. Oh my god, do
1: you remember having to fill out deposits?
0: <laughs> I sure the fuck do. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, that the worst. And then also Ugh. like, do you remember you would fill out like this was super old in Daisy. You'd fill out the deposit slip and then you'd have that little passbook where you would put you'd give that to the teller as well and then they would print out what your balance was into the little book so you knew oh I
1: don't both. know if I remember the book part but I remember having to fill out that stupid ass little sheet and bring them that and your check right. up to the thing right. even if you were, were did you have to do that if you were a cat I can't remember but I, like, I just had a wide like major flashbacks to Fleet Bank in Amherst <laughs> just now <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm remembering when Fleet Bank used to be called Shawmet, so that just shows how fucking ancient I truly am.
1: That's two banks ago, (laughs) because all of it's Bank of America now. I know.
0: Oh, Shawmet might be three banks ago. I mean, like, so long ago. Um, Yeah. But yeah, so Uncle Billy is, like, counting out monies into an envelope, and then there's the deposit slip, and he's got all of that together, but he's also got this newspaper that says about Harry's big medal. Mr. Potter rolls in, and I've not said this before. Mr. Potter is in a wheelchair. We never know why. Um, oh. He rolls in. Polio, and um, probably. Who knows? Um, Uncle Billy is showing off about Harry to Mr. Potter in the paper. Mm-hmm. And as he's doing that, unfortunately for him um he leaves the envelope with all the cash wrapped in the newspaper that he puts on Mr. Potter's lap. Like what a fucking idiot. I know. I was so angry. I was like especially his response like so it doesn't surprise me that Mr. Potter then keeps that money and doesn't say anything. But you know what though and then this is also
1: another trope of Christmas movies I think I'm finding is like someone being real stupid. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and like or and like doing a stupid mistake like that.
0: Well, cuz then like, the movie like couldn't exist. Like, I know, you know.
1: I know, but like it reminded me of I just watched *Planes, Trains, and Automobiles* and they like switch credit cards at one point. And it's like, bitch, just look at the damn card and see that it doesn't say your name on I it. know.
0: Well, so this, but this is truly some of the supreme movie stu- yeah, stupidity stupid. I've never seen in my life. Um, because so he doesn't realize he's done this, and then he goes up to the teller, and the teller's like, "You forgot something," and he's like, "What?" The money. And it's like, "The money, dipshit." Um, and that, and that's one thing, but the thing that's even stupider is then Uncle Billy, like, starts looking around outside, and, like, all this stuff, and I'm like, bitch, you had the money, you were holding it on that little desk where you were filling out the thing, why do you think that the money fell down outside, of course it didn't, like, um, and as you saw in my outline, I've said, Uncle Billy is the stupidest man alive. Stupidest man alive. <laughs> yeah, um, really, like, truly. So, because he then runs out in a panic thinking he's dropped the envelope somewhere. And I'm like, but you just had it in your hand. You didn't drop it anywhere. If it's anywhere, it's in this building, in this room. Like, um, but... Potter acts as we would imagine him to because he he comes into his office opens up the paper and then finds the money and he specifically doesn't say anything about it because this is now his opportunity to crush Bailey building and loan finally Mm -hmm. um so we get back to the building and loan Uncle Billy lights in there like a bat out of hell trying to figure out and everyone's like what's with him um Mm -hmm. meanwhile George Violet has come and she wants some money for a new start in New York City, and George has given her some money. The bank examiner is still there, waiting to talk to George. Um, And then Uncle Billy finally reveals to George that he's lost this money, and George is like, "What?"
1: Yeah, to say the least, he doesn't respond well, and like I wouldn't either, but he really well. The thing
0: is, is like his initial reaction is okay because then he's like where'd you leave it and then all of them are running around town like looking for it Mm -hmm. but then later after let's say a couple hours has passed that's when George like grabs him by the lapels and it's like and he's like
1: what the literal fuck yeah
0: and I think he says like you foolish stupid old man and I'm like well he yeah that is all like it's true you know what are we (laughs) to do like but yes it does seem really mean and out of character that George has done this. Um, and that's, that carries through because then he comes home. He's a real twat. He is mean, mean, mean to everybody.
1: Um, Including his kids. Like he basically yes. tells his kids to fuck off. Yes. Like he's like, stop playing that fucking piano. You suck. T- n- like don't talk to me. I hate all of y'all. Yeah. I made all bad choices having any of you leave me alone.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's at one point...
1: Maybe he doesn't say all that, but... No, he
0: definitely says they have too many kids, but he says it to Mary. Um, yeah. He says their house is too drafty, and that's why Zuzu has gotten a cold and is upstairs. Um, and Mary's like, no, it's nothing to do with the house. It's that she walked home without shutting her coat, because she got this flower as a prize, and she didn't want to smash it, and so she didn't button up her coat. Um, And... So then George, one nice thing is he did seem to be legitimately interested in his daughter's cold. Like, um, he had a a lot of questions about that. (laughs) Well,
1: I will say, like, it seems like the only one he consistently is nice to is Zuzu. The rest of them, like, he could do without.
0: Correct. Um, (laughs) And so, like, he goes up to check on her. And that's when he gets some petals off of the rose that she has, which will again be important for later. But then, as soon as he leaves her room, he comes down like a little fucking storm cloud again. And it's like, <laughs> and he notices that Mary's on the phone with Zuzu's teacher. And he's like, give me that phone. I'm going to tell her what's what. And then he yells <laughs> at the teacher and he's like, you're letting her walk around like half naked. That's why she's sick. It's all your fault. Um, and, you know, this again, to me, really resonated with like where we are now as a culture, because Mm -hmm. so many parents choose to blame their kid's teacher for basically any failure in parenting that they might have. Oh, I um, couldn't even
1: imagine being a teacher nowadays. It's
0: not or good.
1: ever, but
0: it's not good. And so <laughs> but he's like really ripping into this teacher. And so as a result, her husband gets on the phone and starts yelling at him and George is like come and meet me any time of the week. You know, like just Jesus. Christ. He needs to take it down like 85 notches. Yeah. So then like so, I
1: understand he's stressed, but like Christ.
0: Yeah. And so then Mary does like shut things down. Uh but George is now as and this also happens to many of us. Like once you've like fully leaned into your anger,
1: (laughs) you have to commit at a certain point because then if you like, uh, if you back, if you back down, then people would be like, what the fuck? But if you're like, if you stay in it, <laughs> you
0: can like well can i just, just find keep riding it i guess i just find it's really hard to get out once you've leaned in like you yeah i guess uh like you have to slam a door you have to <laughs> break a plate you have to punch something like you just it's when you fully you have to get that energy out yeah when you've gone that far you can't really get out any other way and so in george's case <laughs> he is like Just running around the downstairs of his home, shouting at his kids, shouting at Mary. And he, like, kicks all of the models that he's got around the house. Like, the architectural models that he makes.
1: Like, truly, he's, like, it's not good.
0: No, and this is definitely the kind of thing that, you know, for the purpose of the movie, we know what it's doing. But, like, it is the kind of thing that when you are a kid and if you see your parent like this, it is scary. Like, oh, my God, I would
1: be like, I'm about to get killed or like
0: or you don't know what's going to happen. But you're like, this is the scariest thing. Yeah, because obviously, yeah,
1: as a kid, you're I don't know if you're taught this or it's just like a thing that like adults are in control and adults. Right. Like and so if you see an adult being out of control in any capacity, that
0: is worrying. Right. For sure. Um, so George runs out, and that's for the best. Um, uh, where are we? Okay, um, this is when we get the final kind of, like, blow to George, because he goes Uh back to the bank to ask for help from Mr. Potter. Specifically, he wants the $8,000 that he believes is missing. But, of course, Potter has the money. Um, but Potter is just using this as an opportunity to torture George. He says he's notified the media and police um, that this is probably some sort of embezzlement scenario. Um, he also implies that probably he's used this money to keep Violet as a mistress. Um, <laughs> and this is when we get the, the real... That is
1: weird. Well, that, that costs $8,000 to have a mistress. What, I mean, that does seem on? quite
0: expensive. Uh, but well, I just don't even knows. know what
1: that means, but okay.
0: But the real important thing from this v- interchange is that Potter says basically the line you're w- worth more dead than alive. And I think that's, that's based on like a life insurance thing or something. Um, <laughs> So George leaves knowing he's not. All
1: states uh, is that all states um, (laughs) tagline? You're worth more dead than alive.
0: Worth more dead than alive. Uh, Get all state as best you can, (laughs) quick, quick. Um, They if they aren't using that, that's like money left on the table. I mean, come
1: on. uh, Copyright, copyright. Everybody listening. (laughs) That's ours. That's ours.
0: (laughs) Um, So then. Um, George leaves, and in time, he ends up on this bridge that I guess is on, like, the edge of town. Yeah. Um, and he's praying, because everything sucks, and he needs help, and this, so this is how we know that we've, like, caught back up to that opening bit of story, because they're, like, now this is the night that he needs help. Um. Yeah. And so, Clarence appears. On the bridge. Um, also, why
1: doesn't he see that dude? He's, like, standing right behind him. Anyway, whatever. Well, because we
0: know that Clarence can appear and disappear. So, like... True. He just appeared. I um, guess. And, in fact, the first time I see him, I wrote, Clarence appears smiling like a creep. Like He's creepy. He's a little creepy. Um, but... And then, what does Clarence do to, like, get George's attention? Jumps in
1: the goddamn water.
0: Yes. He jumps into the freezing cold river... George jumps in after him because he loves jumping into freezing cold water to save people. Um, they both get helped by this other guy. I think this little house is a toll house. Um,
1: I couldn't. I was like, whose house are they in? What's happening? Yeah,
0: this is like a toll house being
1: like, uh, like on the on the str- like on the highway, a toll
0: like, yeah, like booth?
1: yeah. Yeah, but it's like a
0: little house next to the bridge, and so you would Mm. probably pay something. Or maybe it's one of those bridges that lifts up and down and just needs somebody there to Mm. monitor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, But anyway, they're hanging out in there, warming up, drying off, and this is when Clarence says that um, he's an angel second class, which means he has no (laughs) wings, Um, and that he is here to help George uh, kind of find his way out of this problem. Um, I did and like
1: slowly the dude who saves them like backs out and is like, yeah. this shit is getting too weird." I know, and I
0: w- I did like that. There's like not much <laughs> like um, comedy in this movie, uh, mm-hmm. but this was great because like the crazier stuff, like the crazier and crazier Clarence sounds. The more you get these cutaway shots of a guy with like his eyes like bugging out, or like he, fall- <laughs> I think he falls backwards in his chair. He does fall at back one in his point. chair. At one- yeah. Um, but then finally, when he hears this angel stuff, he literally like runs Leaves. out of this house <laughs> and doesn't come back. Yeah. Um, and then this is when George tells Clarence, "Well, like I'm worth more dead than alive." Um, and Clarence is like, don't be ridiculous. And he's like, well, maybe that's too much, but I do think, you know, everyone would have been better off if I had never been born. And then Clarence gets like a little bee in his bonnet and he starts, he's like, that's
1: a grown idea. I know. And then he like
0: <laughs> kind of rubs his chin and like, look, cocks his head up and pretends to be talking. I mean, he, he pretends to be talking to somebody, maybe Joseph, maybe God. And he's like, what do you think about that? And then he pauses. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, I think that's a good idea. That's what we're going to do. So immediately, then a wind blows in through the door. Mm -hmm. The snow stops. George Mm -hmm. now can hear out of both ears. And we're into the alternate reality.
1: And we are, like... One hour and forty five minutes into yeah. this movie. Yeah,
0: I think I think it is about one forty five now that I've like thought about it. Um, so we go out onto the street, and George is looking for the car that he crashed, but the car is mm-hmm. not there. And then he's talking to someone who's passing by, and he's like, "Where's my car?" And he's like, "What are you talking about?" And then he he's like, "Well, I don't know. Maybe you need to go into Pottersville." And uh-huh. It's like, uh oh, we're in it, like uh
1: we're it, in another place.
0: Um, but George still doesn't fully get it at It this takes point. him a
1: while, I'll um, be honest.
0: <laughs> then we have a scene where George is going to this bar that used to be Martini's bar, but now it's called mm-hmm. Nick's, and it's much more rough and tumble there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most important aspect of this scene is that um Mr. Gower comes into the bar and now in this different version of reality he is no longer the kind of beloved town druggist he is um been in
1: jail or something (laughs) yeah he's an
0: accursed town drunk and homeless guy because yes he did go to jail for that mistake of poison years Mm -hmm. ago and so then the guy who runs the bar nick is like if you know this guy then you guys are probably also criminals too so he kicks all three of them out um it's a good rule of thumb yeah probably not the worst idea um and then George is like you've he keeps saying to Clarence like you've um tricked me you've hypnotized me or you've hypnotized everyone like this isn't right you know um I'm going home right then we get the real view of the main street of Pottersville um and you want to try a hand at kind of describing what Pottersville looks like in this different reality um
1: it looks oh it looks just a little bit more urban i want to say but like
0: yeah like i actually kind of think it looks like a lot of fun
1: <laughs> it didn't look bad like it does like it really didn't it just didn't have that you know again this is funny about like turning in, into like christmas movie tropes like it didn't have that like little christmas village vibe anymore it just right. seemed a little bit more like Neon signs and... um, Lots of dance halls. More Main Street. Yeah. 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 And nothing wrong with it. But just, yeah, it seemed a little bit more, I suppose, in those days, that would have been considered more gritty.
0: Yeah. It was supposed to be, like, very tawdry. Very... um, I was getting real Back to the Future 2 vibes. Like, you know, when uh you go... When they are in the alternative 1985 where Biff has been and in charge of And everything's like town. Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so that's the kind of feeling I was getting there. We mm-hmm. see Violet being arrested for something. Yeah, um, she's still a
1: whore, like...
0: Well, now she's a- an actual whore. Like, she's not just some <laughs> girl who teases you. Now she's an actual whore who charges <laughs> money to have sex with you. Um... But that, more
1: power to her.
0: I mean, either way, nothing wrong with sex work, but she's being arrested for something. Um, yeah. Then, so this is upsetting to George. So then he runs down to uh, 320 Sycamore, his old home. The home is empty and abandoned. It has never been made over nice like how Mary did it in his previous version.
1: Mm-hmm. Um and Bert and Ernie are there again. Bert and Ernie
0: are there because Ernie is a cop (laughs) and Bert is the taxi driver and George has asked Bert to, like, take him there.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah.
0: And so then when he starts freaking out, Ernie is like, you need, like, to be put onto, like, a psychiatric hold, basically, is what he wants (laughs) to do. Um, Yeah. uh, So then Clarence is like, I'll distract them, George, run away. And so he distracts them by disappearing,
1: it's a good distraction um, in mid-air, it is
0: a good distraction um, then we then george has run to his old home his family home uh, yeah. where we see his mother is like this old and crotchety widow she's woman she's much meaner yeah she's extremely mean and she then also reveals that uncle billy has been sent to an asylum for some reason um,
1: probably so, for the best in my opinion I mean
0: clearly <laughs> some kind of intervention was needed with Uncle Billy even yeah. in the better timeline yeah. um, but so then uh, kind of not knowing where else to go George runs to where his business venture Bailey Park is supposed to be but now mm-hmm. it's a graveyard this is all like this whole bit was very Back to the Future too. Yeah. Um, Because they have some graveyard scenes in that as well. Um, Mm. So he's in the graveyard, and this is where... Because he's like, how could my mother have ended up like this? And it's like, well, you weren't born, so her only son, Harry, died. Um, Mm. So she, you know, she was sad, I guess, is the implication about that. Yeah. Um, And then really pouring it on, uh, (laughs) Clarence is like, and then because Harry wasn't alive... All those men that he saved in World War 2 they died. Um, I mean, for
1: Christ's sake.
0: And George is like, I can't believe this. And I think this is when Clarence says something like, you know, a man's life might seem insignificant, but you don't know, like, kind of the ripples that it makes in other mm-hmm. people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also, again, like, that the sci-fi of that is, like, butterfly effect, and all yeah all that stuff yeah Um, so then finally for some reason because he I guess he's just a glutton for punishment George is like (laughs) where is Mary I want to see Mary and like um, it's not gonna be good dude I don't you get it yet (laughs) and then even more like just showing the time and place Clarence in this voice of deep sadness is like she became an old maid like, I know. I loved that.
1: And then when they showed her like there's like she's a librarian, nothing worse than that. I know. And um they showed her and she's just wearing like glasses and like looks like so sad and like so like she like an old maid, mind you, mind you. She is probably supposed to be
0: She might be supposed to be in her early to mid 30s at that yes. point. Yes.
1: And <laughs> like just damaged irreplaceable goods. Like yes nothing redeemable about a woman in her 30s. Yes, well,
0: as you see in my notes, I put in parentheses, a fate worse than death.
1: <laughs> like- <laughs> <laughs> they really were crazy a little bit back then. I mean, we're crazy now, but like, holy Christ.
0: Yeah. Um, the
1: standards were know, very high. I
0: know, I know. Because then George insists on seeing her, and as you already said, we get this reveal of school marm, old maid Mary, and the only thing that I can notice that's different about her is that, She's got glasses on. She's wearing on glasses. Um, yeah. Obviously
1: t- equals old gross, and disgusting.
0: Disgusting. <laughs> I can't even believe that I am forced to see a woman in glasses on the silver it screen. It grossed
1: me out. It really sick. I, it, like, like, it sickened me to my I core. I know.
0: I was like almost, I was like. Yeah. Um.
1: And then he like touched her like yeah, as he if you were cost human her. still.
0: He's like following her and she runs away. I mean, he basically away. did
1: what he did when they got engaged. That's
0: true. Although again. it didn't work this time. This time it didn't go so well. Um, so he follows her, and he's really spinning out. The Ernie, the cop, has followed him this whole time, and so then George turns around in his frustration and punches him in the face, um, runs away, and finds himself back at the bridge, where now he's like, Oh, my, my life was meaningful. I just didn't see it in the proper light. Um, mm-hmm. Which is a quintessential Christmas movie finding. Um, and so then he asks Clarence to return things to what they had been. Um, and we know that that works because then the snow starts to fall. And we see the cop cor- car kind of rounding the corner to come up to the bridge... And, mm-hmm. um, Ernie is there and now he's back to himself and he's like, I came here because I saw your car was crashed. I wanted to see if you were okay. And then most importantly, George finds Zuzu's petals in his pocket again.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so
0: he's, this is also like, by now we're back into a Christmas carol where he's shouting Merry Christmas and having <laughs> this major kind of elation, uh, because of his epiphany Mm -hmm. And the final scene, do you want to try and explain the final scene? Uh,
1: I mean, he gets back to his house and literally everyone in the town, like, he's still assuming he's going to go to jail. Right. Or something bad is going to
0: happen. Yeah.
1: And then everyone in the town shows up because Mary gets back. Mary's like, oh, we went out to find you. Right. Blah blah blah. I don't know how long he was supposed to have been gone, but whatever. And everyone in the town shows up to his house and just starts like piling cash on the table. <laughs> Correct. Um, I suppose we're supposed to see that as like, oh, he gave people help uh, when that bank thing was going down. He gave people cash, and now they're like repaying him for that kindness and like and all blah, the other blah, blah.
0: sacrifices he made on their behalf, not just that one bank yeah. run day. Um, yeah, But yes, they get the $8,000, and this is another kind of quintessential line from this movie. His brother Harry shows up in the midst of this, and he's like, George Bailey, the richest man in town. Um, and this was, like, I realized as well in this final scene, I was like, Harry's a really good-looking actor. I wonder what that guy's He was. is. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was um, good-looking. And then the last little bit is that uh, George... Gets a copy of Tom Sawyer with a message in it written uh, by Clarence. Kind of basically saying, thanks so much. And then we hear the bell ringing. And Zuzu says... Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Yep, and that's right. And then we fade out to the whole group singing *Old Lang Syne.
1: Which, also, I hate that song. But anyway... Um, <laughs> And I don't get what it means. Um, Yeah. I mean, and it's a pretty, like, iconic ending. I feel like that's the stuff that, like, I, like, had learned through osmosis, even never having seen the movie. I, like, knew that bell ringing thing and all of that. Um, Yeah. Too long, though.
0: It is quite long. I, I had not remembered that. And now we've talked for a long time but not yeah, as long as taste. the movie lasts, so that's something. I
1: know, even um, still.
0: <laughs> so, then let's move directly to yawns and eye rolls. For mm-hmm. yawns, one yawn is, I was completely engaged the whole time. Mm-hmm. Ten yawns is, really, really could not get into it. Where were you? Um... I'm going to
1: say, like, seven or eight. It's too, too long. Like, I really, like, did take a mental break in the middle and, like, missed parts because it was too long.
0: Yeah. I think I'm going to go right down the middle um, because I was was mostly into it, but it did feel... Mm Like, I wanted to get to the alternate reality a lot faster. Yeah, that's
1: what I wanted. And I wanted us to stay there maybe longer, too. Yeah, but.
0: yeah. I think it would have felt more satisfying to see a bit more of that world than what we wanted yeah. to see. Yeah. Um. And then eye rolls, one eye roll being, it's a Christmas movie. What do you expect? <laughs> um, and ten eye rolls being like, no, no, no. This is too far even from the fake reality of a Christmas movie.
1: Hmm, you know, I give Christmas movies a lot of leeway, even though, like, I wouldn't necessarily put this in my regular rotation of Christmas movies. Um, uh, you know, it didn't bother me, none of the like action. It, so, I might say, like, two or three, it the like yeah. eye roll factor didn't bother me,
0: yeah. There, I mean, so much of it because, like, the um, sci fi portion of it is so minimal so sh- yeah uh there isn't a lot of opportunity well, for much more than a yeah like two, I'll buy like so. an old
1: dude as an angel sure I'm fine with why that not? <laughs> like, why not out of all the other things we've seen I'm totally fine with that sure
0: and then of course did you like this and would you recommend it um yeah
1: overall I did it's too long <laughs>
0: That's it's your too long main complaint
1: um that is like, that could be like a soundbite for me is just like, it was too long. Um, yeah, I liked it. And sure, I would recommend it. I'd be like, hey, it's a classic. Sure, watch it. But yeah. just know that it's too long. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely worth the watch, especially for the like cultural touchstone of it all and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I did enjoy watching this. I hadn't watched it in a long time.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
0: and so I do, especially if you have really never sat down and watched it, if you think you mm-hmm. know what it's about because you've seen skits or like clips, mm-hmm. um, it is worth watching the whole thing the way yeah. it was intended. So, yeah, and it is, and I do like, I like a Christmas movie, but I also like a Christmas movie where the whole thing isn't Christmas, you know? Like, and so that was one yeah. of the things I liked about this is that the Christmas part is really like the beginning and the end. And then we get I like a Christmas of,
1: movie that like packs in the Christmas.
0: Well, that's where we differ, but you know. But yeah. Uh, so anyway, wonderful job. We are 1 week away from our fully Christmas extravaganza episode. Ooh. I know. We'll see what we do for that. I haven't even thought about it yet. <laughs> um, but this has been a pleasure and a joy, and I hope it has added to your Christmas spirit even if you don't care about Christmas at all. Um, I am Sarah and I'm here with Amy. Thank you so much for being with us and we will see you next week in space. Ooh. Angels. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of See You Next Week in space this is a production by amy and sarah walsh with artwork provided by riley brown if you'd like to learn more about our show please check us out at see you next week in or follow us on instagram at see you next week in space until the next one